The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome to Shaken and Stirred. My goodness, it, it feels like whenever I see Tom, it, it feels like I saw him yesterday, but at the same time, it feels like I haven't seen you for ages, mate. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. Very well. Keeping well and, you know, battling through like everyone else. Hungering now. You, you just, you know, revealed that you were wearing a, a sort of a jacket, shirt, collared shirt and shorts, which, as we spoke about last time, you also talked about, you know, basically dealing with an Indian summer. Right. Uh, we found and out I've that. done my research. Uh, now, what did we thought? And actually, it's funny because a mutual friend of ours posted on Instagram today in England again, saying something about an Indian summer. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've got to check it out. I've got to look this up um, because it's such an English thing. People are always talking about Indian summers. I grew up with my mother talking about it. Now, my mother is from Sri Lanka. So I always assumed that it was something to do with India, the, the, you know, the Asian subcontinent. Check it out. It has nothing to do with India. It has to do with Native Americans. The Indian what? summer is an American thing. It, and it comes from the Brits when they were over in, in, the, in the US and discovered in the sort of late September, October was hunting season um, for Native Americans. And they, just, they, they started to call it an Indian summer. And that expression came over to the UK and got picked up. But it's really not used here. Apparently, it's used on the West Coast a little bit in certain areas. But it's generally not used. So I then started telling people in England, actually today on social media, what the true meaning of an Indian summer was. And all of them were shocked. All of them thought it had to do with India. So yeah. there you go. Not exactly booze news, but it's definitely something interesting. What are you drinking, Tom? I'm drinking a, a, a Maris Cortini. I'm making, I, I, I don't know, I decided to make my own drink tonight. And the reason is I'm currently on my farm, or I was going to call it Sex on the Farm. That was the other name for it, but I can't work out which one it is. Well, maybe one happens first and the other one happens after. For the benefit of our listeners, because you can't see this, it's the most amazing colour. And I tell you what it is. It looks just clear. It doesn't. It's slightly sort of urinous, but gold. Oh, that's only because you're shining through it at this particular angle, but maybe move it off the camera. There you go. It's a beautiful, beautiful golden colour. Do you see that? And it is made. The reason I've done it is because today and yesterday and for the rest of the week, we are apple picking on my farm. And the apples then go off and get pressed and turned into my own apple juice, which I then spend the rest of the year trying to consume. And then I sell some of it. And, and So I've created a Maris Cortini or a Sex on the Farm, which I want. I don't know which one's going to stick. But anyway. Hopefully, hopefully you neither. It's got a... <laughs> it's got a a little, it's vodka, Quantra, a little bit of Quantra, a little bit of vodka, a bit of sugar syrup, and my own home-pressed apple juice with a little little squeeze of lime at the end, just to give it that. Fantastic. I love the fact that you're, you're already starting to make your own, sort of, you know, branding your own drinks now. It's the most beautiful color. And announcing them on Shaken and Stirred. Now, it is the most beautiful color. Like you said, Uranus. Yeah, well, also gold. Gold is slightly sort of clearer than... That might clear. be a better description than Uranus, yeah. I would imagine, when trying to sell it to one's guests or <laughs> advertise it. Or even, you know, quite sex on the farm and, and, and Uranus. I'm not, you know, that, just the whole thing. Sorry to all our guests out there. I, it, you know, golden is the way we like to describe it. Well, talking about golden and talking about making up our own drinks and... In fact, with our, our guest today, who is a rather interesting and exciting individual, I've made a drink in his honor. And I think that instead of talking to you about it now, when we introduce our guest, 
I'm going to tell it to him, describe it to him, because it uses some ingredients that he created. So I think it's kind of fun. I want to see his reaction. Like, like me, I'm using, using ingredients that I have created. Well, my Exactly, is. exactly. I just steal other people's ingredients. That's the way I like to go. That's the way I roll. So listen, booze news. Let's do a little bit of booze news before we get to our guest. There's some interesting kind of booze news. A lot of unusual things happening in the, in, in the world of booze. And, and everyone's getting on various bandwagons. We, as we always talk about celebrities and alcohol, well, Taco Bell, no less, have come out with their own wine. Now, I didn't even know that you could buy alcohol at Taco Bell, but apparently they're doing wine and there are certain locations of Taco Bell where you can get alcohol, but they're, they're coming out with their own wine to pair with a toasted cheesy chalupa. Well, <laughs> everybody knows that wine pairs well with cheese, I guess. But check it out. The name of the wine is the Jalapeno Noir. <laughs> Sorry, oh. I shouldn't be laughing. But I just hope for them that it's a big success, a roaring success at um, Taco Bell, the Jalapeno Noir, with the uh, toasted cheesy chalupa, please. <laughs> whatever they call it, it's too good to be true. I know, I mean, we just don't, we can't make this stuff up. On another note, I'm gonna say something to you. You're gonna tell me what you think it is, Tom, okay? First of all, you, you know what a margarita is, right? Yeah. Do you know the ingredients to a margarita? Yeah, more or less. Okay, more or less. I'm not gonna put you on the spot then. Um, Bud Light have come out with a limerita in a can. So. Describe to me what you would expect to have in the can of Limerita. Beer, tequila, and lime. Right, fair enough, right? Because it's a Rita and it sounds like a margarita, so therefore you would think tequila. So you got you hit that one. Lime, because it's a Limerita, and beer, because it's made by Bud Light. Yeah. Well, guess what? There is no tequila in a Limerita. So, Apparently, it's written on the can. However, there is now a law case against Bud Light for misinformation. But they, they apparently, people are buying the Limerita and are rather disappointed that there is no tequila in it. But it is, in fact, just a malt-based beverage. Now, if you look at the can, it does actually tell you that it's a malt-based beverage and it doesn't have any tequila in it. But of course, who reads the can? I certainly don't. So, well, um, yeah, but who names the, who names the beer brand after, uh, after cocktail? Well, there you go. Fair enough, fair enough. That, that doesn't make any sense. Is it selling out this, this product or is it just well, it a trade? Probably, it, I'm not sure that it will now that people sort of realize that there isn't actually any tequila in it. I think everyone's thinking they could have a beer and perhaps have a little bit of, you know, a little bit of tequila on the side. Who knows? Or if it tastes fantastic, I, I have no idea what, what the deal is here. But nonetheless, interesting, booze news. There you go, there you have it. Very, very excited about our, our guest today. He's become a great friend of mine from the moment I met him. And that was simply because, you know, quite frankly, he's charming, funny, and annoyingly enough, cooler than me, which Tom, don't say anything, please. Uh, it turns out he was, he's also brilliant, incredibly generous, the founder and CEO of Loci, which has donated over eight and a half million dollars to nonprofits. That's eight and a half million dollars, people. Named to the Forbes 30 Under 30 and a finalist in the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Awards. I'm talking about a gentleman called Stephen Eisen. Steve, how are you, mate? I'm great. How are you, Nigel? I'm very well. I'm very well. You're, you're sitting outside. It's, uh, you just told me you're in New Paltz. I don't think we've ever had a guest, actually, who's actually sitting literally outside, outside. Have we, Tom? No. 
but why not? I mean, it's clement weather, is it? It looks all right. It's not raining. If it was raining or snowing or something, it'd be a little odd, but I think it's a very sensible place to be. I've been inside working all day and I'm usually on the safe side. And if I have an important call and need Wi-Fi, I'll be inside. But I'm like, oh, this is just Nigel's podcast. Let me risk it. Sit outside. If the Wi-Fi breaks, whatever. Yeah. Like I told you, he's funny. You know, <laughs> funny, a little funny in the head, but funny as well. You know, he has all kinds of crazy ideas, but I like the guy. What can I say? Let's cut him, cut him some scrap here. So what are you drinking, Stephen? So I'm about to pour it. I have a, a mass gin just on the rocks. Shocker. And um, this is a special occasion because I don't drink that much. This is probably my fifth drink all year. So it's with you. So it should be. What do you have? Well, you, you'd be glad to know that I've made up a special drink in honor of you. I'm calling it the Elemental. And what it is, is just like you, I got your Amass gin that you sent me, which I hear that you own a stake of this rather wonderful London dry gin, which is my favorite, by the way. I have also used one of your drinks called Vitality by Elements. Oh, right? yeah. Check that out. And we did not make this up, people. He's got one in his hand, too. And I added some bitters, some hella bitters from Brooklyn, shook them over ice, and topped it off with a little club soda. And here we go. It's rather delicious. It has that ginger in it. It has orange, all those flavors from the elemental. And, and, and by the way, this is meant to give you vitality. We're going to get to that. So here, cheers, Tom. Cheers, cheers Stephen. Tom. Cheers, Nigel. How do you know it's delicious? You clearly haven't even taken a sip of it yet. Hmm. Right, there we go. It's actually my second one, old boy. But anyway, <laughs> you know, like, unlike you, who I know is probably your fourth one, this is only my second one. <laughs> Stephen, let's dive straight into this. We're going to talk about Loki. I mentioned that, but, and it's an extraordinary company, but you have literally just launched, and I mean just launched, you sent me a case of these drinks called Elements, which are by Loki. I guess it's a, it's a subsidiary of, of Loki, but it, it's a functional wellness drink. I, I, you probably weren't expecting people to add gin and vodka to it. I don't know, were you? I wasn't, but we get that joke all the time. And this is the first time I've mixed it with alcohol. So always a first with you. Oh, why not? Absolutely. Well, we're hoping that you're going to sign us up on Shaken and Stirred to do your entire cocktail series, actually. Don't you think, Tom? It's a rather good idea. And we haven't discussed that. But yeah, that sounds like a... Well, if, I don't know. How's your drink, Steve? I mean, it might be absolutely disgusting. Great. Is it all right, tasting all right? Of course. Good. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, thank you, Stephen, for, for elaborating that. I mean, tell us, what, what, what was the deal? What made you decide to get into these you know, drinks, for example, the drink well? I mean, the amassed gin, you've got a vodka, then you, but that's a different company. You obviously just decided to invest in that. Uh, my friend Mark has a company called Amass. Um, it's a really cool bot botanical alcohol brand. They have a dry gin. They just launched a vodka, and they're doing some great stuff. And I really don't like gin, but when I tried this, I loved it, and I support products that I enjoy. Well, it's, it's a London dry gin, mate. So all I can tell you is that you're not, it's not alone in the world of great gin. So really, you and I should hang out more often and get hammered, actually, is probably what should be happening. We should be, I should be introducing you to a whole bunch of botanicals, because I know you like them, and gin is known for its botanicals. But elements. Tell me yeah. about elements. I mean, what's going on with these vitality drinks? Is this something, what, 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 what was the step into, okay, we need to make, and you have one called focus, one called calm, one called sleep. Do they actually work with these? What, what, tell, tell us about them. What was the yes, genesis? They, they do work. We actually, we didn't start with the idea of wanting to do a beverage company. It came out of loci and thinking about 
another product that we could create that helped people find balance in their life. And uh, we came up with an idea for a service and a digital concept. And then another one was we learned about adaptogens. And about three years ago, you said the word adaptogens. People looked at you like, are you making up a word? And I still think you might be making up a word, but anyway. And in high enough doses, adaptogens are a class of plants. Um, And in high enough doses, they have functional benefits that you can really feel. But that's only if you use real clinical levels. And so over the past couple of years, we worked with the ethnobotanist, a scientist, and then a food development firm to develop our four different formulas, vitality, focus, common sleep, that use clinically effective levels of adaptogens to help balance your cortisol levels. And your cortisol levels are your stress hormones. And so, yeah, if you drink them, you really do feel the effects right away. I'm going to just give you a little backup on that because I, I called bullshit when I first heard about it, actually. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's all very well and good. Which most people do. No, of course. Well, I mean, think about it. I mean, it's like, really? How many times have I been told that this is going to do this, right? And, oh, it's the magic elixir or something's going to... But so I'm like, okay, let's let's try one. And you may know I like to row, uh, and I've been rowing for some time. I got a rowing machine in my basement, and I, one of the things that happens when you row because you row for a long time, you can't really stop and have a drink in the middle of it. So you kind of try and get hydrated beforehand. So I, I thought, okay, this is perfect because they're flat, right? They're still, they're not sparkling. So one of the problems if you have a sparkling drink beforehand, you end up burping throughout the whole thing, and it's a nightmare, and you want to throw up. So I don't want to do that still drink but it's functional right so it's got so i tried your vitality one and i'm thinking okay this better work you know this better you know what's it going to do for me the ginger the orange tastes actually tastes nice which is good too because again you're thinking okay functional drink uh, may taste a bit weird actually tasted quite lovely check this out i got my personal record hello you know i'm like that was rather impressive i was like wait a second i just got a pr you know, that's so very, very happy. And I thought, and I, was, I immediately was like, I should call Stephen right now. But I thought, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll save it for the, for the podcast. So there you go, folks. The proof is in the pudding. I got a PR having had a vitality. So I'm having one now. So this could be the best podcast of all time. I may never stop talking, in fact. I love that. And I think uh, no matter what company I am a part of or launch, and I'm sure we'll talk about Lokai next, the most important thing to me is the product right? You can build a great brand, you can have a great story. But if the product can't stand on its own, you don't have a real company that can scale. And so for me building this, it was all about the product and the formula. And does it really work? And so yeah, people like you, once they try it, and they realize it does work, that's where you start to see repeat consumers and people that are loyal to your brand. So I, I got a little panicked when I, I, I realized I'd run out of the, of the special case you'd given me. And I thought, okay, now I'm going to have to go online and sort of order it directly from, from Elements. Is there other ways? Where are you getting this? Where are you selling this product? Right now we're on elementsdrinks.com. Uh, we're also on all doors at uh, Wegmans. And then we'll be in uh, some Walgreens and CVS stores in the next couple months. So not available overseas, not a European drink yet. Not yet. Do you have different hoops to jump through? Do, you know, how does that work? How do, I mean, surely the food and beverage industry must be very tough. I'm just thinking about all the, you know, when you say something like it, it's a functional, you know, drink. I know you said you went through trials. Is that very hard to convince the FDA and people like that about, you know, what's okay to drink and not to drink? So what I've learned being in bever- the beverage world for the first time is 
the hardest part about it is the operations, uh, like the logistics and distribution of moving all of this liquid and product and cans around is a nightmare. And so to do it in New York is one thing, then to try to do it nationally is a whole nother level. To go international with it, 95% of beverage brands don't even need to go there that far because they have so much room to scale in the U.S. alone that to bring that complexity is just not, it's not worth it. What, what you're trying to say is, is people like Tom clearly wouldn't be into an adaptogen drink. And, and you know, I, Tom, if I would take that they personally, if I was you. It might be, but that's, it's, it's just too hard to go international as a young brand. Yeah, well, probably what people are doing here is, is, is you'll have your own, you know, you've got your rude health and you've got your, you've got your own, you know, juice, you know, you've got your own brands popping up. And I imagine you'll be, the success of your drink is going to be kind of mimicked at some point. People are going to, people are going to kind of cotton onto it and then it's going to pick up, you know, your, the concept of the adaptogens and, and cause you know, we're not too dissimilar what, you know, what we like over here and what you like over there. So I'd imagine what will happen is if there's an uplift in people doing it in, on a small scale here, then at some point um, you'll probably be able to, you know, once you've, once you've covered America and, and you, you know, you, there'll be scope to move. I mean, look at Coca-Cola. I mean, that's to take and have, you know, hundred years to get where it is, but I mean, you know, it's still possible to, to do it, but I guess it's got to cotton on first. And I have never heard until you mentioned it. I have never heard of the word adaptogen until this evening. And that's why it's BS. It's not a real world. He just made it up, but it's great. You know, it's, it's why not? Tom, this great. is what we'll do. We'll just send you a bunch of cases and you can sell them out of the back of your car. There we go. There we that's, go. That's actually what he does for a living, by the way. Now we have an international business. I've just sold my neighbor, um, my neighbor, he's a, he's a famous car um, journalist. He's just started a farm shop and he's got it. He's leaving, he's leaving the car world, the car journalism world and going, doing a farming show. And he's got this farm shop and I've just managed, I've got so much, I've just been picking all my apples this week. And as I was saying in lives before you came on and uh, I got so much apple juice. I'm now selling the, the surplus to him. But as he pointed out, he said, as long as you don't want to put your own label on it, it's fine because it won't sell. It'll sell with my label. And I'm just like, I'm now just selling my bulk apple juice to him. So I'm already in the kind of beverage industry, but, you know, just right. breaking even here at the moment. You know, you, you should be striking a deal with elements, clearly. I mean, I think that, you know, there must be an adaptogen somewhere in an apple. I mean, what the heck is an adaptogen? Can we just get into the adaptogens for a minute? It's a very fancy word. I know you sort of, you know, it, what exactly, it adapts what? It adapts what you already have, or what does it do? Adaptogens are plants that work with your adrenal system to balance your cortisol levels. So back in the day, when you were out hunting and a bear came along, your adrenaline would spike, and I mean, you have a lot of cortisol in your system, which would allow you to run away and have energy and, and get what you need. In today's day and age, we're, we're so stressed all the time because cars are honking, we're on our phones, meetings, calendars, everything going on, that our bodies are flooded with cortisol. And what that is, is it makes us react slower when we need to sleep, when we need to relax, when we need energy in the morning. And so adaptogens in high enough doses work with your adrenal system to balance those cortisol levels, which allow you to function faster when you need those different energy, sleep, calm, rest. Stephen, you do understand that you are right now in New Pulse. Tom lives on a farm in Oxford, and I live in a place called Bearsville. So 
there are actually bears everywhere around here. So, you know, out there chasing bears is what I do for a living, in case you hadn't realized. I know all, all the rest of it is uh, kind of just fluff. So run away from a bear. <laughs> exactly. Running away from a bear. Tell the bear to hold on, drink your vitality, and then run away. Well, exactly. I'm just more worried that the bear might come in and steal my vitalities, actually, which is you know, what they're known to do is come in and actually raid people's kitchens around here, as been known as happened, happens quite regularly. So, okay. So, I, I, by the way, the drink is delicious. It's going down really well, rather fast, Tom. I, you, you may notice that. I'm not sure if you've actually finished your drink because you've now moved on to your can of, you're having, a, you're doing both. You're drinking vitality and Tom has finished his drink. We may have to have another round, all around, I think. Stephen, loci, let's get into loci a little bit. This is a, an interesting business that you created. Go, go back to the genesis of it, and because I, and obviously a lot of people have heard of it, but not everyone realized. Tom, I was telling Tom how when I went to Greece with his family and our family, we went on vacation a couple of years ago, his kids were wearing loci bracelets. And um, this is in the UK, and they were wearing them, and they, all, they saw me with them, and they were like, it was this bonding moment of like, and I'm his godfather to his daughter. And she was like, oh, you know, you're wearing what, you know, well, you have one of those bracelets. And it was a different color than the one they had. And this conversation came up. But it's a lot more than that, obviously. It's not a lot more than just a cool, fun bracelet. Tell us, when when did the idea of these bracelets start? And and just talk us through that beginning moment. I came up with the idea for Lokai. It's about 10 years ago now. It was after my freshman year in college. I was on vacation with my family and friends, thinking about how lucky I was to be there. But that week, my grandfather was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And uh, growing up, he was a huge part of my life. He drove me to school every day. He taught me to play golf and how to play pool. And so that news really brought me to a low and got me thinking about the highs and lows that I was personally going through in life and how everybody has highs and lows. doesn't matter your age, demographic, income level. Uh, we all go through them. And so I started to think, okay, well, what are the highest and lowest points on earth? Mount Everest and the Dead Sea, and how could I take elements from those two places and incorporate them in a product that people could wear every day as a reminder to stay balanced, staying humble when you're on top of the world, and hopeful when you feel low. And uh, because of my grandfather and Alzheimer's, I thought giving back is always an important way to find your own balance. And I've found that uh, when I give, um, that makes me very happy. And so We've always donated 10% of profits to uh, different nonprofit organizations. And uh, to date, we've been able to donate over $8.5 million. So, so uh, extraordinary story. And, and obviously, yes, it's very sorry to hear about the grandfather. And I, my, my, my grandmother also had Alzheimer's. Um, so I'm very well aware of what that condition is like. However, I'm just curious, you know, the... the the dirt or the, the soil or the mud or whatever it is from the Dead Sea and the... And the the water from the top of, of Mount Everest, who goes and gets it? Good question. So I think uh, when, when I came up with the idea, I told my dad, and he gave me the best advice anyone could give me, which was, it's a great idea. Everyone has great ideas. Now go execute it. That's the hard part. And I was a, a young uh, kid who just went for it. And on the mud side, the mud was easy to find. I ended up finding a wholesaler who would supply me the mud because they make a lot of beauty products out of mud from the Dead Sea. But the water took me six months to figure out. I called anyone in Nepal I could get a hold of. I think I called a couple like pizza places in Nepal being like, hey, can, can you help me? Uh, and people laughed at first, actually. But then 
through a first, connection. First of all, I'm a bit, I think it's kind of amusing that there was a pizza place in Nepal. Sorry, I, I mean, any that, number, that is the funniest part of it all. I called any number in Nepal that I could find. And I eventually got connected with a climbing group who climbs Everest. And uh, like, if you wanted to go climb Everest, you can't just go to the mountain and go up it. Um, you have to go with a professional group, then you pay them a lot of money and they take you up. And so... Apparently, there's a traffic jam of people going up Everest, you know, people back to back. It's probably all these people collecting water for loci. Now I know what it's all about. It's a big problem. Uh, the traffic's actually a big problem. And it's actually a really dirty mountain, too, which I'll tell you one of the projects we, we recently did. But um, I ended up employing a, group, a team of Sherpas who uh, climb the mountain. And instead of bringing people like you or I who want to go climb, and they go collect the water from base camp to bring it down um, and ship it directly to our manufacturer. But um, to your point you just made, Everest is actually really dirty, right? There's no trash cans on the mountain. It's not like there's a trash company coming and picking it up. So people just leave their stuff everywhere. Uh, and so because Mount Everest has been such an important piece of our brand, we wanted to do something to help. So we funded a uh, Everest cleanup expedition and we went and we collected over 400 oxygen tanks. We collected tons of trash uh, and we actually cleaned up a dead body off the mountain as well. But we took those 400 oxygen tanks that we collected off the mountain and melted them down and turned them into a collection of jewelry, which went back to doing it again. So yeah, we were able to help clean up Everest a little bit as well. I'm very familiar with your jewelry line, of course, which I helped photograph so, and, and launch. So I, I'm very well aware of that. I forgot about that. Nigel got an incredible uh, shoot for that jewelry collection. Yeah, we used Miles Chamley Watson, which, who is a great friend of both of ours, uh, which was very, very cool. And uh, Alex uh, Richards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she, as well, she's a DJ, so that was great. Um, no, look, it, it, it's amazing. I'm, I'm curious, did you ever at any point know that, or but when did you realize that it was going to be so popular, that loci bracelets were going to become a sort of worldwide craze? I mean, because it's not just a, it's, you know, it's like, okay, it's a, quite a highfalutin idea. You know, mud from the Dead Sea, water from the top of Everest, into a bracelet, money goes to charity. You know, there's this big idea, all kinds of moving pieces. But then it becomes like, whoa, every child everywhere and people, young people, you know, millennial, everyone wants one, has one, they're cool. When did that happen? When was that tipping point? So I did believe that it would be that successful. And I think if you're an entrepreneur or pursuing any dreams or goals in your life, if you don't have complete confidence that you're going to make it a massive success, it just, it won't happen. And so I... I said, okay, this will be successful, or I'll say this was successful when we've sold over 10 million bracelets, uh, which we now have. And um, the real moment when I knew it was going to be successful was in college when I told my fraternity brothers uh, the idea for Loki. And uh, that's because if any of you have been in a fraternity, if you tell them a new idea, you'll get shit on if i can say that word on this podcast uh if it's not a great idea uh and they will just make fun of you and trash you and uh you won't hear the end of it if it's not a good idea and no one had a bad thing to say and i had some people come up and say hey can i buy one of the first ones when you make them 
and so I knew from the very beginning that, okay, like people don't just like the idea. They're actually like interested in buying one. Um, and that was kind of when I knew I had something. So, so 10 million units, that to me suggests that you might have actually reduced the height of Everest by taking all the water off the top of Everest. And you know, the Dead Sea is probably a little deeper now too. I mean, joking aside, how much, do you, how much water and, soil and, and mud do you put in these bracelets? Enough to fill the bead, which is not that significant. I think it's more about the, the message that we're conveying with, that, with the water and mud. And I, and I also think one of the reasons why people love loci so much is we don't overpromise anything. Right, we're not promised that it's going to physically balance you, or that you're going to be uh, the happiest person in the world if you buy a loci. What we're selling is the message of helping people stay humble and hopeful throughout their lives, and that's really on them to then do. And we're just a, a reminder of that. And I think not overpromising in your product is is a really important thing to do as well. Okay, well, then that takes us straight back to elements then, doesn't it, really? Because you, you've got a product that says vitality, sleep, focus, calm, you know, over-promising, or, or you're saying no, right? So you're, it, it, they're fine. It, that, I'm, that's saying it does, I'm saying that we are, we are saying what it actually does. We're not over-promising in any way, and we're also not saying that it does it and then selling a product that doesn't really deliver on those functions. Fair enough. Fair enough. No, no. And, and I, I, like I said, I think they, they, you know, I did incredibly well. I have to do, I'm going to have to do a double blind test on it now, I think, um, and, and see if I yeah, don't get my another one. Exactly. So the, one of the interesting things, obviously, about loci bracelets is the, this, this sort of charitable aspect. And I, I remember when Make-A-Wish that I'm very involved with and that you're very involved with came up to me originally, and this is before you were a board member of Make-A-Wish, and said to me that they were going to be partnering with Loki, and they had actually asked me about it. Actually, they were they were, they were very excited, and they they were they were they were talking to me about this partnership. Um, lo and behold, you became a board member of the Make a Wish Foundation, uh, which was brilliant on their behalf to bring you in. But how do you make a decision, or what is the decision making process on which organizations get a bracelet? And, 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 you know, obviously there are lots that have, but there are not everybody. And you also have organizations like sort of Major League Baseball and what have you that have bracelets. How do you make that decision? Sure. So just to clarify that, we now have a lot of licenses like MLB, NHL, MLS, a lot of sports leagues. This year we just launched Disney, Marvel, or we're launching Marvel in October and Star Wars. Even though we have those licenses, they still support different nonprofit organizations. And the Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars ones actually all go back to Make-A-Wish, uh, which, is in, which is obviously amazing for you and I, who are both big supporters of that nonprofit. I think when we look at which nonprofits to support and partner with, we're looking for ones that are really taking action in what their organization is about whether that's BCRF with the research that they're doing to try to find a cure, or it's Make-A-Wish who are really changing the lives of kids with critical illnesses, right? I think we don't want to partner with nonprofits that kind of beat their chest and say, we're so cool, we're so big, we're this nonprofit. We, big and small, we look for organizations that are making change in the world. And that's who we really look to partner with. What do you think was the sort of the, the, the uh, 
Or why do you think people find so much symbolism behind wearing a bracelet? It's funny that, you know, I, I, I'm just always curious as to why something becomes popular and, and what, what is it about it? I mean, it's, it's a bracelet. It's a very simple thing. But there have been these bracelets, you know, throughout, you know, the past I don't know, several, several, 20, 30 years at least, and certainly as, I, as long as I can remember, that have represented certain things that have been cool for whatever reason. And, you know, I even remember when I was a kid, all of a sudden people were wearing brass or copper bracelets that were meant to be good for your health. You know, and all of a sudden they were like a cool thing to, to have on and, and to wear. What is it about the, the, a brace, bracelet that seems to work or, or, or be so sort of uniting to people? Great question. I, I think that when I decided to take the message of highs and lows, staying humble and hopeful and, and turn it into a bracelet, it was because you can wear it every day, right? I think jewelry in general is uh, something that people put a lot of meaning behind and can wear every day, right? Like you, you could wear the same shirt every day technically, but it might stink a little bit and you might get bored of it. I think jewelry is something that people wear because of the meaning. And I think the, the message of being humble and hopeful is something that plays very well in today's day and age. I think that with technology and the speed that the world is moving, people need to be humble and hopeful more than ever. And I think that that message just has really resonated with people. And I also believe that incorporating the the 10% charity and the different causes, people are able to support the organizations that they're passionate about. And although their individual donation might not be able to change the world, the number of people who also all support the same thing can really be a large donation and have a material impact. Tom, what do you think about wearing the same shirt every day, Tom? That comment, I just sort of... About you. I was just thinking about your bracelets and the humble and hopeful message. And I was just wondering whether you managed to get one. You got, got one into the White House yet. You should get the current president to wear one. Do you, think you don't, do you think you'd ever put one on? She might. Try, Stephen, to get your dear leader to be a bit more There's humble. There's a lot of athletes and a lot of celebrities that wear loci. I have yet to see a politician wear loci. There we go. I don't, I don't know if I want to go there. I don't know if I want to be in the White House right now. Well, there you go. I think that was enough said right there. But, um, you know, good point, good point. But Tom, you know, Tom has been wearing the same shirt and vest for as long as I know. In fact, he he might have been wearing it since we were both 14 years old. But um, although I don't think it would fit him anymore. But anyway, you know, when you mentioned wearing the same shirt for years on end, I'm like, actually, that kind of is a thing. Uh, you know, however, no, you, know, you know, you know, you waste your time, you know, rowing, going nowhere fast, back. I mean, rowing in itself is a is a funny sport, going up a river backwards. And, but to do it in your basement on a machine that's not going anywhere, worrying about your personal PR or whatever you call it, you've got even got an abbreviation for it. My PR is I'm still wearing the same same shirt. It's been washed. I've just got the ten of the damn thing. Actually, this, this is rather unusual color for me. I'm changing it up a bit. Blue. After, Blue. After 15 years, yeah, yeah. But it's a PR, you know, I can still wear the same clothes after 15 years and, you know, and still retain that air of cool sort of sophistication. 
Yeah. So really what you need to be doing next, Stephen, is a, a, a elastic, wearing shorts, elastic shirt. Oh, and he's wearing shorts. Thank you very much. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just like the visual couldn't get in any worse. Well, there you go. You see, although those shorts, he's actually been wearing, they were trousers when I first met him, and he's still wearing them, and they're now shorts. But, you know, we were very young when we first met. That's the way things go around here. Let's get it back to Make-A-Wish, shall we? Make-A-Wish, what was it about Make-A-Wish that really resonated with you? You have all these organizations, all these charities, all these wonderful people that you're connected with, so many. What was it about Make-A-Wish specifically that, that spoke to you? It's a great question. I'm full of great questions, Stephen, by the way. Stephen, stop telling him he's saying great questions. Otherwise, he'll just, we'll be here for like two or three hours. Be, you know, and, and it looks like you're ready for another... Uh... Elemental drink over I know, there. I might go ahead. I'm going to pull myself one as you tell me about Make a Wish. Oh, do you hear that? Let me just do that okay. again. Do that. Beautiful. Anyway, there you go. Next. So, the, the reason I decided to join the National Board of Make a Wish, and I think the reason why you are uh, so passionate and involved in Make a Wish, is the kids themselves. I was lucky enough to uh, be able to film a wish of a good friend of mine still now named Noah and NFL quarterback Cam Newton, and his wish was to meet Cam. And I was able to go on that wish and spend the weekend with them. And the joy and happiness that I saw in Noah's eyes and his family's eyes when that wish happened was something so magical and I think something so something that we take for granted every day um, about how easy our lives are and um, how we are able to complain about the stupidest things. And it really put life in a perspective for me. And now being a father of a young baby and uh, have another one on the way, I think I would do anything for my kids. And I think for kids with critical illnesses to have their wish come true and see the effects that it has on them and their families, um, not just in the moment, but um, something that they can look back on and be a relief and a happy time for them is is so beautiful and something that I am so lucky to be a part of, honestly. And I think even more now than ever with COVID, we all complain, oh, we can't go to this restaurant, we can't see our friends. Imagine being a kid in a hospital with a critical illness with COVID around, right? Like I think about that sometimes and I'm afraid to get COVID, but for them it's life or death for some of them, right? So I think Make-A-Wish has really put life in a perspective for me, and that's why I'm so supportive of them. No, their, their mission is without doubt spectacular. And, it, and it's, you know, to your point, you know, they, they, these children, so many of them have only known hardship, pain, and suffering for many, many, for many years, sometimes all their life, or all, all they can remember at least. And it's not just the children, but the families themselves go through it as well. Because what is worse than watching your child suffer you know, and being helpless? It, it's enough to bring a grown man to his knees and to make anybody feel you know, that just desperate. And certainly desperation, certainly desperation is something which is you know, really quite kind of concerning. And, but one of the things that turns these children around so much is hope. And when you lose hope, you sort of lose everything, right? If you don't have hope, if you don't think that there's a possibility that there could be a better world or a better way or, or even to be healthy or to live, then, then you kind of can let go. And if you lose hope, you, you, if you let go, then maybe it's all over. 
right? So what, what Make-A-Wish has done so amazingly is to sort of show them, show these children what is possible, give them a day where their dreams can come true, to grant that wish. And that's the, the most extraordinary thing I've discovered through Make-A-Wish is that, that the power of a wish to transform a child's life, it's not a mycidinal thing. You can't put a label on it. You can't put a number on it. You can't measure it exactly. But I've heard doctors and surgeons over and over say how their patients, when they receive a wish, all of a sudden turn a corner. And, and it's as if they, it gives them the, the sort of power within their soul, within their very being, to change their own situation around internally. And that is something extraordinary. Again, you know, like I said, you can't put a, you can't measure this. It's not a, there's not a, a sort of a rating or a, you know, this, this will do this. But it, there's something very special about the power of love, caring, and being there that Make-A-Wish provides. So, you know, kudos to you for taking the initiative. Hope is essential. 100%. So you mentioned your kids. You mentioned, we didn't mention your wife by name, but Dylan, your, your beautiful wife. And you've got one child and another on the way. Congratulations. How are you coping? How are you coping in, in, in this, this, this year? How, what, what is it like to have a small child and one on the way in the world of Corona? So Andres is 17 months old. Uh, so right now he's running around. He is about 20 words up, down, mom, 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 dad, more. So he, he, no, now he gets to say no. It's funny. Before they can talk, you're like, oh, I can't wait till they talk. Now, now that he can start to say a few things, it's like, oh, second baby. I'm, I can't wait for him not to be able to speak. No kidding. And My daughter's I, first words were, dada, no hair. <laughs> Literally, that was her first sentence she put together. Dada, no hair. I'm like, no, 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 dada has hair. This is a ch- choice. This is, I shaved my head, darling. Anyway, sorry, yeah, I digress. No, no, no. And uh, second baby's coming mid-November. And, and how is it? I mean, are you okay? Is you coping? Is it difficult for your wife? Dylan, is, you know, is it complicated in this world? I mean, obviously, you're in New Pulse. You, you have the ability to be out, out of the city. We're great. The silver lining of this whole thing was how much more time I get to spend with my family and be home and uh, help her and work from home and uh, take breaks and see him and be able to give him tubby time every day. It's uh, that's been like the one great blessing of COVID. So you said tubby time. Oh yeah, tubby time, bath time. Oh bath time. Okay, bath tubby time. I've never heard it described as that. Sorry, Tom. Did you know what tubby time was? I presumed. I mean, given the fact that Stephen doesn't come across as being kind of overly large, um, tubby is a is a is a a word for for fat people in this country. So I was presuming it wasn't anything to do with that. Bus no, tub, bath, yeah. bath time. Right. <laughs> oh, tubby time. <laughs> <laughs> I was concerned that it had something to do with the Teletubbies. But anyway, now we know. It's actually bath time. It's not the Teletubbies. And nor does it have anything to do with fat people, Tom. So we can all relax. <laughs> Look, uh, Stephen, thank you so much for coming on Shake It Instead. Before we le- let you go, I want to get on to something we have called Last Orders, which is a series of rapid-fire questions. Just to put you on the spot right before we let you go, uh, we hope that you've had a drink and so therefore your answers are going to be slurred and preferably honest, or you can lie. Either way, honesty or complete lie. We enjoy both on Shaken and Stirred. Tom definitely prefers truth. Here we go. What was the best piece of advice you've ever received? From my dad. 
everyone has a great idea, but take action, go do it, go after it. What's one thing you can't eat? Bananas. I have a phobia. Just like some people hate spiders and clowns, like bananas freak me out. No, 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 no. That's completely not the same thing. Spider actually bites, right? And it is and it's sort of actually kind of creepy and lethal. A clown, they're like terrifying movies have been made about them. There is no movie about a scary banana, and there is no banana that bites. So how is it the same thing? I have met other people that have the same phobia. I'm not making it up. They freak me out. It's real. Yeah. It's sorry, I've just taken the liberty of very quickly looking this up just to see if I had a sort of funky name, but it's it's as as one would imagine. It's called <laughs> banana phobia, which, which the people sit there and say, "If you've got a phobia, you've actually got to turn around." I mean, arachnophobia kind of sounds quite, you know, just sort of punchy. But banana phobia, banana phobia, it is apparently very rare and uncommon. But the fear of bananas or banana phobia does exist. There, there have been people who have been scared of bananas all their lives, so much so that. She, one lady couldn't stand being in the same room as them without feeling nauseated each time. <laughs> sorry, sorry. You, how bad is your banana phobia? Is can you, you can you like you have to stay out of the veg aisle in the in the, the fruit aisle in the supermarket? Oh yeah, they can't be in the house. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, there won't be. A, obviously, there will not be a banana elements coming up anytime soon. No um, no way. Even if it's an adaptogen, it is not happening, people. There is no banana. Like, like if you try to play a prank on me and I put a banana in my bed, I'd never talk to you again. That is, that is actually very powerful information, people. You heard it here on Shaken and Stirred. We have a way. We have kryptonite for Stephen Eisen. It is, in <laughs> fact, the banana. Okay, moving swiftly on. Sparkling or still? Still. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Well, it would be, wouldn't it? That's why I asked, because of the old white uh, elements. They're all still, but we never really got to that. In the movie of your life, Stephen, who would you have play you? This is Tom's favorite question. Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Okay. Uh, I, I can see that. I, 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 you know, I give you that. And finally, the most important question, shaken or stirred? Shaken. Shaken. Absolutely. Just like me. Shaken. Thank you very much for coming on Shaken and Stirred. Stephen Eisen, uh, CEO and founder of Loki, part owner of Amass, vodka and gin, founder of the latest drink by Elements, Vitality, Focus, Sleep and Calm. Bananophobic, father of one and a nearly oh. two. Thank you so much for inspiring so many. And thanks for all that you do for so many people. I can't believe it, eight and a half million dollars to all these extraordinary organizations. And uh, it's really great to, to be working with you uh, with Make-A-Wish. Uh, you are a great guy, and I really love having you as a friend. So thanks so much for coming on Jacob and Stead, and good luck with everything. Thank you, Nigel. Thank you, Tom, for having me. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken Instead. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya. See ya.